1: Hey, this is Robert Ferguson, author of Are You Getting This? And if you want to build better relationships with others, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis
2: Chapel. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Robert Ferguson. Robert has been part of the teaching team at Hillsong Church for the last 30 years. He is English by birth, Australian by choice, and European by taste. He has seven growing grandchildren, three married children, and one patient wife. He is a biologist by training, but dislikes the color green. He is a teacher by calling, but hates marking. He loves traveling, reading, photography, and coffee. And for over 40 years, he's taught people how to live in order to please God. He and his wife currently live in the parrot-filled suburbs of Sydney, and he's here to unveil the art of storytelling in his latest book, Are You Getting This? Guys, this is going to be such a fun, amazing conversation that we're going to have with Robert. Um, regardless of what your spiritual, religious beliefs are, storytelling is a huge part, it needs to be a huge part of anybody's arsenal of skills that's trying to be successful in entrepreneurship. So really excited to jump into a few of these things uh, with Robert. But first, really quickly, if you are looking to get on more podcasts as a guest to promote whatever it is that you have going on, or if you are a podcaster looking for more expert level guests, then you're going to want to check out a software that we just released called Guestio. Um, that's over at guestio.com. That's guestio.com. Um, you can head over, there, head over there, book amazing amazing people like Manny Pacquiao or Chad Veach or uh, Jordan Harbinger, uh, people like that for your show, or you can go pitch shows to be a guest on. So um, guestio.com. There's a lot of different ways uh, to get connected with folks over there. Robert, thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Travis. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and talk to all your listeners. So I'm looking forward to the talk.
0: Yes, sir. So let's go ahead and dive in by building a little bit of context first. Always start with story because I think that's what matters most. Talk to me through, let's say 15-year-old Robert. So we're, we're taking it back a ways to talk a little bit about what your life was like growing up Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? And what was your vision for your life at 15?
1: Okay, well, I was brought up in the south of England in a farming community, so my father was a farmer. At 15, I was at a boarding school. In fact, I was at a boarding school from the age of seven through to 18. And it was, to be honest, a terrible experience. But I did learn the gift of survival. So I would never, ever send my children to boarding school. But I learned some precious lessons. Mm. And as regards dreams, I had none whatsoever. I was not good at school. I was told in my school reports that I was a disappointment, that I was stupid, and that I was lazy. And above all, I could not express myself. So the idea of me being talking to you in this context is beyond
0: comprehension. Yeah, especially for your teachers, I'm assuming,
1: yeah. <laughs> one of my teachers, uh, one of my headmasters, he, at the end of the school year, he just he just wrote, Robert is a nice boy, but no great intellect. And I think that would be a perfect title for an autobiography in the future.
0: <laughs> also probably a great way to sum up how boarding school was, right? <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like it was yeah, pretty... Yeah, it wasn't uh, a good experience. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> No kidding. Um, Okay, so your dreams probably at 15 were uh, more centered around how to get out of boarding school than they were about what we were gonna do once you were out. Um, So how did that translate into early adulthood then?
1: Okay, so I, I wasn't very good with people. So this whole idea of building networks and relationships is very intriguing to me because I genuinely didn't like relating to people. I wasn't good with crowds. So I spent a lot of time on my own as a child and I learned to relate to animals better than humans. So I became a biologist, and that became my profession. I trained as a biologist. I had no intention of being a teacher. I wanted to be a conservationist, but I was pushed in the direction of teaching. And it was when I was teaching biology that everything changed.
0: Gotcha. So you were pushed in the direction of teaching the thing that you are going to make your career out of. And then that's what kind of led you to this next phase in your life?
1: Yes, but even as a teacher in biology, I was really not very good at it, to be honest. And even my teachers at Teachers Training College didn't say that I was a born teacher, which is what you were hoping they would say in these situations. But to be honest, I became a Christian at university and I had a God encounter in that three-year period or four-year period, and that turned my situation completely around. I felt that I was in the wrong profession, that I needed to be involved in ministry. And of course, I still didn't have the skills, hence this book, hence my learning curve, my steep learning curve of looking at how to be a better communicator.
0: When you decided to go down that path, was it seminary, go back to school, or immediately get involved somewhere?
1: Yeah, strangely enough, I wanted to go to seminary, but uh, again, circumstances pushed me in another direction. I actually joined an evangelistic team. I know that sounds, for most of your listeners, a very strange thing to do, but for six years, I traveled around England and Europe in a team, helping people, encouraging people, supporting people, uh, in a team that preached the gospel and one of one of the things that we did, we actually bought a three thousand seat circus tent. So I traveled from a group of circus people, which was a wow. which was a revelation in itself. and we traveled around England with its appalling weather, preaching the gospel, going to schools, going to prisons. And I really learned my craft yeah, no on the job. I learned it in those settings.
0: How many days a week were you, were you preaching, teaching, speaking up in front of people at that point?
1: In those days, uh, not as much, nearly as much as I do now, but uh, I did a lot of schoolwork. We would start meetings in a city or a town and I would, do, I would go into schools and I would do all the assemblies. And I would often speak to maybe 10,000 children in any one week. And I was put up in front of these very, very challenging students. And remember, I wasn't a good student myself. So this was like an appalling experience for me. (laughs) But it was a great learning curve because I learned how to build bridges, how to make connections, how to get people's attention, and how to tell stories because I found, especially with younger children, Storytelling was key.
0: Mm, yeah, so let's let's um, talk a little bit more about that. Then, uh, really quickly, as an aside, before we jump back into your story here, what would be some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about storytelling? Why why is it why is it so difficult? Like why why is it something that seems untouchable for some folks, while other people can just step in and command attention from a group of people almost it seems at will.
1: Yeah, it's a really strange thing. But back in ancient Greek philosophy, they actually condemned storytellers as weird people and dangerous people. Mm. And the truth is there is a sense in which storytellers are dangerous people because someone like the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth, instead of using philosophical ideas, communicated to the world in stories Mm. and it changed the world. So storytelling has always been immensely potent, but also immensely distrusted. And I think it's distrusted by a lot of intellectuals and educated people who think that it's not the best way to communicate. We should communicate with facts, we could sh- should communicate with philosophies, and storytelling for some reason is too simple for them. But to be honest, when you start understanding how stories work, it is both simple, yes, but immensely profound in the way that it communicates ideas.
0: So this might be a super broad question you can answer however you feel um, you need to, but what do you mean when you say how stories work? Is there a particular framework that you're referring to, or can you kind of expound on that a little bit?
1: Well, I think my wife is a musician, and when she was When we first got married, I'm not a musician at all, she tried to teach me how to play music. But my wife's problem is that she's incredibly good at what she does. And I think sometimes very gifted people find it difficult to break down their skill and their gift into small bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. But I'm a scientist. I like steps, and I also wasn't good at storytelling. So it's much easier for me to look at the whole picture of storytelling and work out what are the actual steps and even though there's a danger that you will remove the magic from storytelling there is a methodology and hence i wrote this book to encourage people like me who are not very good at communicating that if they actually take the steps even the most average communicator can be become better at communicating their ideas to their team or to their students if they're a coach or their children if they're a parent. So I'm actually looking at it in a quite a technical, scientific way, giving lots of tips and tricks on how to actually do it.
0: So you've been doing perfecting this this skill set, so to speak, for forty years, and thirty of them at, at Hillsong, which is arguably the you know the most well known, if you know, if not the most, then definitely one of the most well known churches um, in the world. What was the catalyst that brought you to write this book now? Like, why, why now?
1: Well, to be honest, uh, people say to me when I've finished uh, a sermon, they say, how long did it take you to prepare that message? I often think that's a two-sided statement because it could mean you should have taken longer. <laughs> but I will, <laughs> I will often say, well, it took me seven hours to prepare the actual message, but in, in effect 60 years yeah, right. to really reflect on it. So this book has been a lifetime in the making. Why now? Well, lots of that is circumstantial, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, <laughs> what else is there to do in 2020 than write a book?
0: I guess and- that is fair. You know, that, that, is, that is really fair. So, okay, so the book's called Are You Getting This? Is, is there a specific place that you want us to go pick that up, Robert, or is it any, any, no, any... You can go
1: to, to our website, Hillsong, uh, Hillsong Store, Hillsong Website, or you can get it in Amazon and various other places, Book Deposit trades. So basically, your your local bookstore is okay. the best get it.
0: So, so pick up a copy of Robert's book, Are You Getting This, wherever you shop for books, basically. Um, but I, I, You guys know anytime we recommend a book on the show, go get it now. Okay, don't, don't waste time because you know things happen and you always forget about it and you, you mean to do it. And you, I know you're well-meaning. I know you are because so am I. But let's face it, um, when, we're, when we're well-meaning, that usually means that something, gets, uh, uh, something slips through the cracks and I don't want that to be this book. So make sure you go pick up a copy of Are You Getting This Right Now before you forget. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need hire, you need Indeed. Um, Robert, I want to get a little bit back into your story now. So you are a young man traveling across England, preaching for whoever will listen, essentially. At what point do you transition into working with Hillsong? And were there any sort of you know, relationships that, that you can point back to that were highly influential in making some of those things happen?
1: Yeah, so I I did that. I didn't just go around with the evangelism. I actually became more of an itinerant teacher and I did a lot of work in Eastern Europe. I used to go in the 80s before all the changes in Eastern Europe. I used to go and teach leaders in Hungary and Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia and Poland. And I did that for a number of years. And when I got to about 35, I think I began to have what many of us have, uh, the beginnings of a midlife crisis. In other words, I wanted a change, I I wanted to do something a little different. And at that time, our senior global pastor of Hillsong Church, Brian Houston, came to speak at our church. And I was just a minister in the church, but I didn't know him at all. And at the end of the message, I just walked up, thanked him for his message, he was a visiting speaker, and I invited him to lunch. And basically, that simple decision was the catalyst to being invited to Australia. And I came just for two years, and here I am 30 years later. I often say to people, a simple decision to thank someone or invite them around for a meal can be the beginning of a change in your destiny. And so that's pretty much how I got invited.
0: So I guess relationships would be a pretty big part of uh, a part of who you are, then, right, Robert? <laughs> I yeah, mean, it's hard I, to deny yeah. at that point, right? <laughs> I, uh, Samuel Chadwick, who was a Methodist minister
1: many years ago, says there are, God. There is no divinity in method. In other words, God uh, uses whatever methods He chooses. But I actually think that there is a divinity in people i think god uses people he's always looking for people to speak through so rather than being you know choosing australia i choose to work with a person and that has always been the way i've operated yeah many many years ago i met a man in a meeting and i walked up said hello we built a relationship he was working in indonesia and i just said can I come to Indonesia with you one day? It was just a simple statement. But as a result, I went to spend maybe 10 or 15 trips to Indonesia, traveling around Indonesia, speaking to numerous crowds, business people, churches, simply because I built a relationship with one person. So I think relationships are absolutely key. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the first book I ever the first book I ever wrote was on relationships about 20 25 years ago. Building connections or making connections that work is what it was called.
0: Yeah, I actually came across that a little bit in in some research that I was doing a while back, but I completely forgot about it because I didn't take notes on it and uh, I appreciate you for bringing that up because because obviously that's the biggest thing that we talk about here on the show. And it leads me directly into the question that I've asked everybody that's ever come on, Robert. And, and I think I know your answer at this point, but I'm going to ask you anyway. All right, so here we go. Who you know or what you know, which of those two do you find as being the more valuable asset in life and why?
1: Look, obviously, because of uh, what we've already talked about, we would say who you know. But here's a story that I find intriguing. Paul... The apostle was walking on the Damascus Road. Everyone, even without a religious experience, knows about his Damascus Road conversion experience. And Jesus appears to him. Now, you would think that if Jesus is trying to convince Saul that he needs to follow him, he would just directly talk to him. But this is what is weird. He says, I want you to go to Damascus and meet a man called Ananias and Ananias will tell you what to do. And Ananias, at the same time, had a dream and said, a man by the name of Saul is going to come to your house, and I'm going to use him to change the world. So isn't it strange how this famous experience was centered around two people that God chose to make a difference? So, of Mm, course, if that is the case, I want to build relationships with people.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, not to mention, Saul was like a famous Christian killer at that point. So I'm sure Absolutely. Ananias wasn't super stoked on the introduction um, at that, <laughs> when it first came down the pike.
1: Isn't, isn't that an interesting point? That God, you know, we, we're all flawed and we often make judgments about people and who to talk to and who to build relationships with. But it's often the stranger people that have the most intriguing impact in our life
0: yeah i love that i love that um robert there's there's so many directions we could take this but i I do want to drill down a little bit more on the relationship side of things and i'm curious to know how relationships that you have and storytelling coincide if there's any sort of advice or, or tips that you can offer? And again, I know this is not a pointed question, so forgive me for being kind of general with it. You know, coupling of those two of those two really important things just really intrigues me. And if anybody can speak into that intelligently, I'm sure it would be you. So I'll, I'll give you the floor now.
1: Well, I love reading, as you can probably tell if you see me in my library right now. Yeah. But uh, I love reading. And my favorite genre of book is biographies because I love unpacking how people make a difference in the world, how God uses people, how people make a difference. And I think in Peter Ackroyd's book or Biography of Shakespeare, he says a very intriguing thing, which I find fascinating. He says that one of the greatest taboos of biographical writing is that 19 twentieths of a life are mundane or boring or average. And often it's what we do in the average or what we do with the mundane that makes a difference. And I think that's where storytelling comes in. We actually take the ordinary things of life, the going to the store, the walking down the road, the driving to work, and we make it into a life lesson. And that's what biographies do. They learn life lessons through through the mundane, and we can do the same. And storytelling is basically looking at all of those angles and saying, what can we learn from this experience, even though it is mundane?
0: Yeah, that's an amazing answer for that question, better than I could have hoped for. So talk to me a little bit about how we can use storytelling to strengthen the relationships that we have in terms of, you know, interpersonal relationships, marriages, business partnerships and things like that how, how can we use storytelling effectively in in our life without coming across as too much of a marketer right because marketers are all about telling stories and marketers are all about being persuasive in your storytelling but it's for a specific purpose like so how can we use that tool without kind of moving over into the into the you know marketer hat
1: well i think the first thing we need to understand is that everyone has a story and we have a story and As the old adage says, a man with an experience or a woman with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. In other words, you can persuade me about your ideas, but you cannot persuade me away from my experience. So I think storytelling and building relationships is all about building a bridge to someone else, making a connection that works. So I, for instance, I'm on a plane, not nowadays because we're not allowed to be on planes, but in the day when we are allowed to fly, someone turns to me and he says or she says, what do you do for a living? I've discovered that as soon as I say I'm a preacher, that's the end of the conversation. (laughs) The earphones come on, the the book comes out, and uh, I'm ignored for the next hour. (laughs) If I say, let me tell you a story, instantly that changes things. So I will sometimes tell my own story, but I'll often tell a story about my role. So I've actually got a number of stories that I've created, if you will, that describe what I do, but in storytelling form. And as soon as you do that, and business people all over the world, all your listeners can do that, describe your role in a story, not just a title. And suddenly the person next to you says, wow. And the conversation
0: continues. So uh, I'm sure you know this question's coming. Can you give us an example of what that might sound like?
1: Yeah, so I work in Hillsong Church. One of the things that we do at Hillsong Church is that we publish songs. They go out all over the world. And they're sung by millions of people every week. Well, in order to make sure they're good quality, they come across my desk first. My wife and I check all the songs, change them if necessary, so they reflect truth and they reflect our church. So, if I told someone that I'm a, a lyric, I'm called the lyric police, or I'm a song checker, or I do quality control, that that doesn't. That doesn't come across very well. So what I do is I say, let's say you say, well, what do you do? I say, well, in Melbourne, in Australia, there's a famous guitar maker and they take six to nine weeks to make a guitar. It's a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. But before they sell it and before they put the stamp of the name of the company on the guitar, it's handed to an outside party. Paid by the company, but not a craftsman. He plays the guitar and either he passes it or he smashes it. I am the person who smashes guitars.
0: <laughs> so a little, bit, uh, a little bit different than saying um, I check music for errors at the church or exactly. I'm on staff at a church or something like that.
1: Exactly. And as soon as you say something like that, that's just one of numerous stories I might say. yeah, uh, yeah. Someone, someone will say, well, tell me about that.
0: Mm, yeah. All of a sudden it's interesting. All of a sudden it's intriguing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How, how, I'm curious if you, and I was, I'm sure this is just anecdotal data at this point, but when you open a conversation with something like that, have you noticed a difference in the duration of the conversation versus when you might give a little bit more of a succinct answer where you don't tell a story? Oh,
1: absolutely! And I think if you don't want to have a long conversation, just tell people that you're a pre <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell people you're a marketing executive. That'll yeah, right. that'll shut them up. Yeah, I'm here so, to you yeah, something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You tell them a story. They, they tell you their story. Then you share stories. You start talking about family. By the end of the uh, the hour or two hour flight, you suddenly are, uh, are talking about, we need to get together and have a coffee. Let me give you an example. I was on a plane many years ago and I, and I sat down next to a senator. Now, I'm not a politician and I'm not that interested in politics, but uh, he, when I understood that he was a senator... I told him, I said, well, isn't that interesting? You and I are in the same profession. And uh, he looked at me and he said, are you a senator? And I said, no, let me tell you a story. And I told the story of John Wesley and William Wilberforce. John Wesley, the preacher, and William Wilberforce, the politician who abolished slavery in England. And I said, both of them were committed to helping other people. But Wilberforce came after Wesley. In other words, there needs to be a good moral framework in the community before a politician can change the laws because laws cannot change people's hearts. Mm. And I said, you are Wilberforce and I am Wesley, but here's the thought, please make sure that I am free to preach the gospel because otherwise you can't do your job. (laughs) <laughs> so that's pretty much what I said. And he became so intrigued after about an hour's conversation. He invited me to his office the next, next morning and we had coffee together. And in the conversation, I said that righteousness, I quoted a verse from the Bible, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And he said, that is going to be my motto and my mantra in the future. And he wanted to put it up on his wall. So a story, even a historical story, opened up a relationship that I could not have imagined had I just said, I'm a preacher.
0: How do you go about finding your stories specifically? Is there a specific you know, rhyme or reason to it? Or is it just lifelong dedication to continuous learning and reading biographies and marking things away? Or do you have like, you know, uh, an Evernote or file or an email folder that's just full of a bunch of different anecdotes that you use from time to time.
1: Yeah, lots of people do that, but I've got a very visual memory. So I tend to rely on my memory, but obviously I record all my messages over the years and therefore I have recorded many of my stories. But I actually think that one of the keys is a gift that my mother gave me when I was a child. She gave me the gift of curiosity and I am curious so I pose questions. I'm always looking for things. What have I learned from this? What is intriguing about that? Why am I standing in this line? I'm always asking questions of myself. And I think that is one of the great keys to the gift of discovery. And can I just say to your audience, this book is not just about storytelling. There's a whole range of ideas in the book including one chapter on the gift of discovery, how to discover things in life. So that will answer this question that you've just asked me.
0: Love it, Robert, this has been such a fun conversation, allows me to, to kind of talk about um, uh, some uh, different angle, different perspective around these topics that we discuss here on the show uh, frequently. So I appreciate you for coming on the show. We do need to move on into the final round, just something I like to call the random round, just quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession, other than your own, do you think that it would be fun to attempt?
1: What about a funeral director?
0: (laughs) All right, you have my attention. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because I'm often invited to do a message at a funeral, and I feel privileged to be invited into someone's deepest loss. And I think a funeral director would give someone an opportunity to help people in a profound and significant way.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be?
1: Well, if it's going to be someone in America, one of the biographies that I've loved recently is Michelle Obama's book. And I would love to have an hour's chat on a park bench with her.
0: How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos?
1: Oh, no, it's got to be a real book with real paper, preferably a hardback. No, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. <laughs> my wife uses uh, digital media for books, but for me, I need to feel it,
0: taste it, touch it, smell it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What's a book that you would recommend to all of the listeners?
1: Well, interestingly, on my Instagram, I've just recommended a, a book called Jaeger because uh, Chuck Jaeger, one of the greatest... Um, pilots that America has ever known has just passed away this month. And his book is uh, a fascinating book about uh, leadership. And it's just called Jaeger. I don't even know if it's available. If your listeners are available, uh, uh, um, can get hold of it or interested in leadership, a book by Roland Huntford on Shackleton is a stunning book about leadership. So I could recommend lots of other books. But Those are two that I've actually recommended recently.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Okay.
1: I'm very, very religious. Uh, Winston Churchill said, if you want to have a successful marriage, don't talk to your wife at breakfast. And uh, I have followed that piece of advice. (laughs) My wife and I have, we've been married very happily for 44 years, but we have separate routines in the morning. So I'm very committed to breakfast. I love breakfast. But I'm also um, very committed to journaling and I have a journal routine where I write a journal, I write a proverb, I write a a message outline, I write two things for which I'm thankful. Very, very rhythmic, if you will. And also we like to go on a morning walk uh, around a park together. So there's lots of, um, yeah, I've got very, very... uh, specific routines to set up the day.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Now, this may surprise you, but I am not a great musician, and music is not my pump-up thing. I tend to, if I want to be pumped up, I'll walk outside and look at a tree rather than listen to a music.
0: What is something that you are just not very good at?
1: Oh, how long have we got? (laughs) I, I'm not very good at most things, to be honest. I'm not even very sure I'm very good at doing what I do. <laughs> but uh, I'm lots of things. Lots good at uh oh, look the, the list is the list is too long to be honest to uh <laughs> pretty much anything that i don't do i'm not very good
0: at. <laughs> yeah right anything any, anything outside of the two or three things that you're really good at yeah right yeah i was getting everything wrapped up here robert what's one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most
1: online you can uh, always go to the hillsong church online and uh, many of my messages will be available there I've also got Robert Ferguson teaching Instagram, which uh, people can listen to my messages and my tips and tricks about preaching and teaching. But above everything, go to your local bookstore, get a hold of, are you getting this? Because I think whatever you are, whether you're a mum, or a business person or an entrepreneur, whoever you are, you're going to benefit from this book because I think everybody needs to be better communicators.
0: I 100% agree with that. And especially if you are a listener of this show, this should be one of the books that's on the top of your list for 2021. So make sure to go get a copy of Are You Getting This? Uh, Whether it's on Amazon or a local bookstore, whatever it is, get that book, add it to your reading list. And, uh, and I'm sure that you will be happy that you did. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a
2: seriously fantastic time chatting with you.
1: Thank you very much, Travis. Really appreciate it.
2: That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.